0: It's so good to see each of you on this, the third of the month of April. Time seems to be flying by and it is uh, always good to be able to welcome each of you to church this morning. Those of you that are gathering with us by a live stream, glad to have you here too. And any guests that may be with us, always glad to have guests. And if there's any questions we can answer for you, We'd love to be able to be as helpful as we can. Uh, Many of those questions may be answered uh, in your bulletin. If not, um, please don't hesitate to reach out, phone the office. We'd love to have the opportunity to meet you as well, perhaps uh, before we leave this morning. But um, for the past, let's see, it'll be 14 weeks now, we've been studying on Wednesday evenings the New City Catechism. We've been reciting... Uh, the question and answer on Sunday morning. So if we could have those on the screen, we'll uh, read the answer together. I'll read the question for you. Question number 14, did God create us unable to keep his law altogether? No, but because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation is fallen. We are all born in sin and guilt, corrupt in our nature and unable to keep God's law. All right, good job. Before we look at a passage of Scripture this morning, uh, let's once more bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for another Sunday, a communion Sunday at that. And after a reminder and song of, of who you are. What you've done. And after a catechism question that reminds us of our inability to do the right thing. Lord, we ask that you'll speak to us today through something you asked us to do. In order to remember these things that you've done for us. We thank you for Sunday. We thank you for each other. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for what you'll teach us from your word. Make us... More like You, we ask in Your precious name. Amen. Well, today we do serve, or observe, rather, one of the church's two ordinances as seen in Scripture. This would be communion. The other is believer's baptism. Sometimes we do those both on the same Sunday. We've done that before. But today, um, as our uh, quarterly calendar... um, Suggest we do this and that's something the Bible does not tell us how often to observe communion Some churches do this every week some every now and then uh, For wake chapel and most of the churches i've ever been familiar with it's on a quarterly basis So we did this on the first week of the year do this again today later in the summer and then in october in the fall but what's different about today is that this is the first time in two years and three months that we'll do this the way we did it before COVID. I'm appreciative and thankful for those little prepackaged packaged uh, things. That, um, and I'm grateful that some will use those today, some uh, remotely as they're able to join in on the live stream. Uh, but I think most of you that that remember using those the first time, agreed, it's not quite the same. And I do remember that the first brand that we used was not appreciated. Um, (laughs) We need to find one that that tasted a little better. We we improved that, but today it's back to the way we used to do that. Um, And I thought that because this was somewhat different uh, and reminiscent of what we've done in the past... And being that Easter is just two weeks away uh, and Passover will begin two Fridays from now. I thought we'd take a break from Acts chapter 9 for the week and in kind of commensurate with a couple or three weeks ago when we were in Acts chapter 8 and a very good question was put toward the Ethiopian on his chariot. Uh, returning from Jerusalem, Philip stops him in the way and says, Do you understand what you are reading? I think it's a good practice, maybe once a year or so, to ask ourselves, do we know what we're doing when we observe communion? Not to take for granted that we know what this is, or that we wouldn't forget, or that, God forbid, it would just become the same old thing. But to rehearse what the Scriptures tell us to do, how Jesus asks us to remember him and to make sure that knowing what we're doing, we do it correctly. The answer to the question, why do we do this, is best answered, and this would be a technical definition, which is loaded with things that must be explained, because of who Christ is and what he has done. We wouldn't have communion if it was not for Jesus That he was not the Son of God. That he did not die in our place on Calvary. These are the things he asks us to remember. And that's why we do communion. But there's a lot more to it than that. Jesus said himself, this do in remembrance of me. While I was sitting here on the front row, I noticed that's embroidered on the cloth over the uh, altar here. In remembrance of me. That's what he asked us to do so that we would never forget. Now there's two passages we usually refer to, one more familiar than the other. And if you've ever helped as one of our deacons as we serve the elements and so forth, you probably have read this to know when your cue was. But this is the passage in 1 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul um, to the church in Corinth that had severely misappropriated this whole thing. They were way off. And what a lot of times we don't read when we read 1 Corinthians is the setup. How Paul says, do I glorify God for the way you do this? No, you've been doing it the wrong way. And then he gives us some details that we don't see in the scriptures, in the gospel record. That's actually what I'd like to invite you to turn with me to. First, I heard your pages turning. I had to tell you, you're going to the wrong place. (laughs) Matthew 26 is where we'll begin. We'll finish in um, 1 Corinthians 11. There we go, lots of pages turning. And you may have your Bibles with pages. You may look at that on your phone or a tablet, just make sure it doesn't start reading to you. (laughs) Every now and then that, that happens. It's always a mistake. And we always have grace for that, of course. But looking back at the Gospels gives us details on the first communion service. That would be with Jesus and his 12 disciples. And the location is the upper room we'll find that the first communion is actually tied to another reminder. If communion is a reminder, this doing remembrance of me, it's not the first time in Scripture that we see God telling His people to do something for the purpose of reminding them of what He'd done in the past. So the function of communion is a reminder. There's more than one reminder in the Scriptures. The first that this is actually linked to... It's called Passover. That's just uh, two weeks from now, basically. And it was something God had asked His people to do so that they would never forget Him or what He'd done for them. So let me show you in Matthew 26 and look down to verse 17. It says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread... The disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. So the first communion is actually Jesus' last Passover. Both of these designed to be a remembrance. Both of them loaded with uh, theological importance. So there's a lot to think about here. I I recall using this. Some of you might think, oh, I I do remember it now. Sometimes you want to go easy with the things in your sermons that can... Let people be alerted to the fact that you've covered this before. The danger is they decide, I've heard it before, I'll stop listening. Um, But you may remember, and this would have been probably the first communion service after you had invited me to come. uh, Probably would have been in uh, 2019. First of the year. You may have that written in your notes. But I told you, Passover. Think about the Ten Commandments movie. And right before the green stuff started floating all around, down in the streets, that was the death angel. Tenth plague was upon them. And before that had happened, uh, I believe it was Joshua in the movie was smearing the blood on the doorpost and the, the lentil. And not a lot of detail was given over to what they were doing. But there's something said when they're all huddled in the house. And the little boy asks the father, or the head of the table, why they're eating bitter herbs. They're observing the Passover. And this was, of course, the first one. And the father responds to remind us of the bitter bondage that we've lived in for hundreds of years. Well, maybe with that in your mind, you can understand what that was all about. They were told explicitly to keep doing this so that you can remember the night where the angel passed over. It saw the blood and it passed over. Punishment, death did not fall on those who were behind the blood on the door and the lintel, right? They're covered. No punishment. Keep that in mind. We'll see if this fits. So what we see here in uh, Matthew 26 is a reference back to the instructions for Passover and the meal that were given in Exodus 12, later again in Leviticus 23, and over the hundreds of years between the Exodus from Egypt and the time of Christ, especially the night where he's in the upper room with his disciples, Lots of additional details were added by the tradition of uh, Judaism. In other words, there are things that you can look at in the extra-biblical writings of the history of Judaism that are very specific into the way the Passover meal takes place that we don't see earlier in the very basic description in the Old Testament. But doubtless. Jesus. Observed. Passover. Since he was a child. Complete with all the details. And though we don't have time to get into. Much depth as to what a Passover meal looks like. Though. Watching one take place is fascinating. And maybe you've had the opportunity to do that before. Or you've taken others to see it. Or they did that for you on a trip to Israel. All of that has been fulfilled. Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. There's nothing wrong with Christians looking and and even participating with, but we look at it different than Judaism does. We look at it as complete. They look at it as still uh, having a significance that we do not. But the menu for the Passover meal includes six foods along with wine. Uh, we only retain two of these in communion. It's the only two that are mentioned by Jesus. Unleavened bread and wine or grape juice. Depending on where you've been denomination, it may be the real deal. It may not. Uh, today it's just Welch's. <laughs> the way it's always been as far as, as far as I know backward in history, it's all I've ever had. Except for one time in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, with a tour We had communion. It's part of the tour, but it's a communal cup. It means they just pass it on down the line. And I had a cold. I've recused myself. This was before COVID or any of those things. So I don't even know what was in it. Um, But it was all gone by the time they were finished. (laughs) You weren't supposed to laugh at that. So by the time we see Jesus saying those familiar words in Matthew 26, the symbolic portion of the Passover was complete. There's two types. If you've seen this done, one of them is a meal. And you eat it, all of it, and you're full. There's enough to make a meal of. But the symbolic part had small portions, bitter herbs, things you wouldn't want to make a a meal of. No one eats horseradish by the spoonful. Just a little bit goes a long way. So there's a symbolic part and then there's a meal part. And what we're looking at with Jesus and his disciples is both. It's just hard to see at which point they are unless you know what you're looking for. Traditionally, during the dinner, that's the dinner part, the where you eat and are full, the head of the house would hide one of the three loaves from earlier in the symbolic portion for the children to find later. After they had found it, They would bring it back to the head of the house. That bread would be broken into pieces and distributed around the table and eaten as a reminder of the Passover lamb that was killed to cover the sins of Egypt. So part of the the remembrance was used as part of the meal, but it had a significance. It was a reminder of the, the sacrifice. And then you break that as to symbolize the broken sacrifice that atoned for their sins. So when you get to verse 26, this is Matthew 26, verse 26, look at what it says. Now, as they were eating, sounds like the meal, Jesus took bread... Is it possible that this was the hidden part? They wouldn't have had any children in the room at that unless they considered John the youngest and maybe he's supposed to go find it and keep him with tradition. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. But then he didn't say, this is in remembrance of a lamb from back in Egypt. He said, this is my body. As if he is the lamb. And he's going to cover the sins. Then we see Jesus takes a cup of wine. Now here's where it gets technical. You'll have to go do some research if you want to footnote some of these things. But in the Passover meal, meal and some of the symbolic things, there's actually four different times they drink. Four different cups. Poured at different times. Two of them previously to the first part of the meal. So this, if we're tracking correctly, what Jesus picks up would be the third cup. And the first two, if you look at Judaism's traditions, the first two are sanctification and judgment. The third cup was the cup of forgiveness or redemption and symbolizes the blood sacrifice. So when we get to verse 27 and he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood, not the blood of a spotless lamb, but the blood of a Jewish carpenter. That sounds strange, but he's working on something here. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins now after the third cup called the cup of redemption the whole family would sing the Hallel that's a hymn traditionally psalm 118 it's a messianic psalm Uh, they would know it well I'm sure uh, better than than we do here so long later a culture later millennia later and then There was one more cup to be poured. If that was the third one, then there is a fourth. And the fourth is called the cup of praise, or the cup of celebration. Now, in the next verse, after what we think is the third cup, Jesus tells us He will not drink. Apparently, passing on the fourth cup. Look at verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom and when they had sung on him they went out to the Mount of Olives now I learned all this sitting in what people think is the garden tomb and if it's not the garden tomb over in Israel it's like the garden tomb and the guide that was with us who knew a lot about Passover and who knew a lot about communion tied the two of them together. And I thought, my goodness, that sounds awful close, if not right on. And then on the the bus ride, the next leg, it's as if our guide, who knew more about communion, decided to wait for the ride home to tell us the significance of why he didn't take the fourth cup and he said the reason is because you don't celebrate before the work is done right turn with me to Hebrews this is Hebrews chapter 10 and this is where the author of Hebrews gets into meticulous detail in describing that Jesus is better than Moses Jesus is better than angels Jesus is better than the old sacrificial system in fact he's fulfilled the whole thing and Hebrews 10, in verse 4, one of my favorite sounds, Bible pages turning, and it's always good to look at it for yourself. I'm not saying this, this is God's Word, we see it all for ourselves. Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats... That's a reference to the sacrificial system of animals spilling their blood to atone for the sins of the people. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It covers sins, but it doesn't take them away. It covers them as some form of a placeholder to let the people know what God already knows, that I'm working on a way to pay for the sins of the world that doesn't involve their own blood but a substitutionary sacrifice which is what the the little lambs were on Passover a a, a picture of a substitute this lamb is slain instead of you you remember in the garden Adam and Eve sinned then they found what out they don't have any clothes on they not to bother before but now it is so what do they do? Sew together fig leaves. I've been told that fig leaves are some of the first of leaves to just wither up and fall away. My dad used to say, one sneeze, they're right back where they started. But then God kills an animal and prepares for them from its skins, clothing. I'm thinking that would have been the first time they ever watched anything die. To see blood shed. And it was a covering. To cover their nakedness. The blood to cover their sins. But it wouldn't take it away. Uh, John would introduce Jesus at the river as the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. Not to cover it. If you skip down to verse 11 there in Hebrews 10, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That's the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And it's not the sacrifice of an animal, but the sacrifice of a sinless human being in place of a sinful world then look at verse 14 same chapter Hebrews 10 for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified what that means is that those who've trusted Jesus as their Lord and saviors their, their sin is gone and they're being perfected it takes a while the song he's still working on me is in Full play until we see him face to face. But today, you know, Hebrews is looking back. uh, No one's sitting there in the upper room with Jesus at the first communion in Christ's last passage. And what did he say? When did he say he'll do it again? When we're all together at a big party. Now that's something that I think helps contextualize what we're about to do. We're remembering something that happened until the, in the past, proclaiming it here in the present and expecting fully one day together to do it for the, the real last time, together with our Lord who paid for it with His blood and His body. So both Passover and communion are memorial meals designed so that we never forget who God is and what He has done for us. Now, before we begin, and in a moment I'm going to call our deacons up to join me on the platform, and we'll prepare uh, to serve you a little tiny wafer which represents the body of Christ. Now, it's tiny. We'd never make a meal of those, nor would we with the little cup. They are basically insignificant, but what they represent is everything. We use it as a way to involve our senses our taste our smell our touch we've heard the word we're looking at these things and these words in our bibles i remember in sitting in class one time hearing someone talk about how if you add the senses into your learning experience you tend to learn things better and uh, that came to mind next time we went through communion he 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 made this easy to remember I mean, how many times do you sit around and eat anything close to resembling that? Or in any other context than the way we do it now? It, it almost... Same songs, sounds, sights, smell, taste. There to bring us back to the most important thing. Now, as far as Wake Chapel goes, we practice what is called close communion. Some churches would have closed communion Communion. Closed communion means you need to be a member of this church in order to observe communion. We'd like to look at it a little differently. If you belong to the kingdom of God, you're saved and you know it, then we welcome you to participate. So it's close, it's not closed. The only difference would be someone who is um, under church discipline. We see places in Scripture where it looks as if those who... Say they're saved, but acting willfully, purposefully, in public, different than that, then the church disciplines them. And the first thing they withhold from them is something as important as this. And the purpose is not to say, you're not one of us. The purpose is to make them wish they were part of it. It's a corrective measure. Um... It's what we do with our children to make sure that they know we love them enough to correct them when they're wrong. Uh, We hate to ever have to do that, but it's there in Scripture, so we take it seriously. But other than that, the only other thing I usually mention is the question that often comes up, what about my children? And I usually say, Mom and Dad, you know them better than any one of us, and you know whether or not. Salvation, the gospel, the cross, forgiveness, sins, all make sense to them. If it doesn't make sense yet, uh, then it's probably better to let that wait um, so that it will be more meaningful when they do. But I leave that up to to parents to decide what's best. So for now, all that's left to do is to prepare our hearts. And uh for a few minutes here, we'll just have some underscore of a piano. Take the time to think through these things. There's a portion of Scripture and uh, part of what we'll look at here in a moment in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, let a man examine himself and see if there's anything in our heart by means of unconfessed sin that would make what we're about to do Um, less than it should be. Um, He gives warning about how people have done this wrong and and brought problems on themselves. But to do it correctly is to be in obedience to the Lord's command. So we'll have a few minutes of quiet uh, and deacons that'll be helping me with this, I'll call you up here in just a moment on the other side of that. But for now... Let's quiet our hearts and go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the sound of silence and the opportunity to allow you to prompt our memory and, if needed, as is every day of our lives, to bring conviction. Show us where we fall short. Where we have sinned. As we prepare to remember. How you took sin away. Lord we would not want to do this wrong. We would not want to do this carelessly. Lord we need your help even. To do it correctly. In reminding us and remembering these important things we know from Scripture. So, Lord, would you forgive us of our sins? Would you give us what is necessary to remember you the way you ask us to remember you? And in so doing, be obedient, reinforce our belief and conviction, and prepare us to profess these truths to others who would ask an account of what we know to be true. Of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for these things and ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Deacons, would you now join me? Bob Johnson will pray for bread.
1: Pray with me, please. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we Thank you for this privilege that we have to come together as a body of believers uh, to celebrate solemnly um, this ordinance of communion. Father, um, we more specifically thank you for the bread which symbolizes the body of Jesus that was beaten, bruised, scourged, pierced for our transgressions and ultimately given up in death that we might have life. The very bread of life satisfied God's wrath which was rightfully ours. He became our substitute and took the punishment that we deserved and we earned so that we might have eternal life. Father uh, You were the blameless, perfect, sinless Lamb of God, the innocent one that died for the guilty ones. Father, each time as we partake of this element, we proclaim your death and also your return, which is imminent. And I pray, Father, our prayer is that it will not be contained, that proclamation will not be proclaimed just solely in this in these walls, as we go outside of these walls. We thank these things in the mighty and precious name of Jesus and say, Hallelujah, what a savior. Amen. This is verse 23.
0: First Corinthians 11 for I received from the Lord, what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Mark Pierce will pray for the cup. Let us pray. Dear Father, as we drink this cup, we think about the and remember the debt that Jesus paid by the shedding of his blood for the remission of our sins, past, present, and future. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. This is also taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me he continues in verse 26 for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes let's pray once more Father in heaven Lord we thank you for asking us to remember you. And Lord, would we be obedient and thoughtful and sensitive in doing so. To think that most of us live our lives worried that people might forget us or what we've done. Lord, we know that you never forget anything. We do. So Lord, thank you for a reminder. We ask all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. It has been done as the Lord commanded.